before I get started this morning, there are some families watching online that I want to tell them how much I appreciate them watching online. Whitney Tudor is, is watching all the way from New York City this morning, and she's with some other Foursquare families. Whitney, good morning. Give Whitney a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Get back here safely, Whitney. Uh, John and Phyllis McKinney are also watching online. And we do, like Jeremy said, there, there was a wedding um, this weekend, and we've got another group of families out of town on vacation. And so if you're a regular attender here and you're watching online, thank you so much for tuning in. This morning, I read a New York Times article detailing the events that happened in the school shooting in Santa Fe, Texas. And I don't know if you've heard about this and you're keeping up with it, but I want us this morning to start with just a brief word of prayer. And as a church, I want us to lift all the families impacted by the school shooting in Santa Fe, Texas up this morning. We're attending church here. I've got my bride with me and I have my children with me. And there are some families in Texas and surrounding states who showed up to church this morning with grieving, heavy hearts because members of their family were killed. And I want to lift them up and I ask you to join me this morning while we bow together. Lord, It is with a heavy, heavy heart that I lift up each and every family affected by the shooting in Santa Fe. God, even those families who didn't lose loved ones, uh, whose loved ones were not killed, God, those families are shaken to the core. And every family in that community and in the surrounding communities, and, and I hope every family in the United States can realize how precious and fragile life is And in seasons like this, God, I pray that those families would draw close to you. And I pray that as they draw close to you, that they can feel your love and your peace and your comfort this morning. And I pray that somehow through this uh, season of their life, God, that you would provide some healing. Lord, we as a church, as Whites Whites Ferry Road, we, we lift our hearts and our prayers and our thoughts up to you this morning about those families. And we pray that they would just feel the love of of the body of Christ, surround them and encourage them. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. This morning I'm going to begin a new sermon series called Breaking the Vice Grip. And I'm going to offer some biblical solutions, and Mike's going to offer some biblical solutions for fixing some of your most difficult struggles. And um, we're going to be taking our sermon series from Proverbs chapter 6. So you can turn there this morning. And in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, the Bible describes uh, seven things that God hates. And then gives us a list in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And so I'm going to read that for you this morning. And if you've got your Bible, follow along, please. Or I've got it up on screen for you. The Bible says this, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stores up, stirs up conflict in the community. Now, if you look at these seven things, they don't exactly correspond with what are commonly called the seven deadly sins. And you've probably heard of the seven deadly sins if you've been in church for any length of time. So what, what theologians and teachers and preachers have done over the years is they've taken this list and kind of consolidated some of these. And they've looked at Scripture as a whole 
and, and kind of added some things to this list. So one of the main influencers of this way of thinking is a guy named Pontius Evagrius, who in 400 A.D. kind of coined uh, what he called eight deadly patterns of thought. And then that kind of transformed over the course of time into seven deadly sins. And so we're going to be preaching through those over the next seven weeks and give you some biblical solutions to things like lust and gluttony and laziness and envy and greed and wrath. Um, and I believe that God is going to do a work in, in your lives in, er, in any area that you struggle in. What, what you're going to see this morning is that you may not struggle with lust, but some of the ways that God uh, can heal a person who struggles with lust also can help heal a person who struggles with other things too. But to set this up this morning, I want to talk to you about how I believe a person can fall into uh, a struggle with sin, okay? So in life, there are two guarantees, I believe. And I talked about these some Friday night. I'm going to talk about them again briefly this morning. The first guarantee in life is that if you surrender to Jesus Christ, you can overcome anything. Can I get an amen this morning? The first guarantee in life is if you will surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing in life that you cannot overcome. And the second guarantee in life is that we're going to have pain. And we're going to have lots of pain. This is a cursed, sin-sick world. i got a couple of scriptures up here from the book of Job that I want to use to illustrate this point. Job chapter 5, verse 7. The Bible says this, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. As surely as sparks fly upward, trouble will beset you in life. A couple of chapters later, Job chapter 14, verse 1. I've got this on the screen for you. The Bible says this, Mortals born of a woman are few of days and full of trouble. Now, this is a very common theme in the Scriptures. Uh, these are less common verses, so I wanted to give you those this morning. One verse you probably know is John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus says, uh, I have spoken these words to you so that you might have peace. In this world, it's not that you might have tribulation, or that you could have tribulation, it's that you will have tribulation in this world. And right now I'm doing a study in 1 Corinthians, and in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, the Bible says that what we build will be tested with fire. Fire in life is going to come. And there are going to be moments where it feels like we are getting absolutely burned. And in those moments, we tend to, to, to have a natural Response. So I, I got a I got a volunteer that I've asked to come up here today. And I want to illustrate this point for you. What what does a human being do when when the fire of life starts raging? So this gentleman coming up here this morning, his name is Colin Dunn. If you don't know this guy, you need to get to know him. A couple of years ago, I decided to take Colin under my wing and try to develop him a little bit athletically. And so you can see that by the grace of God and because of my hard work, this guy is finally starting to get in shape. Um, and, I, and I really am proud of myself for that. So, so if you probably can't see in the back, but I have a candle up here, a three-wick candle with, with, with three wicks that are lit. And I got this strong guy that I've been training and developing and, and coaching. And I'm, I want Colin to hold, hold your hand, Colin, about three inches over that flame. I just want you to keep it there. Just 
keep your hand over that flame as long as you can. Now, this is a tough guy, and tough guys at this point are going to really grit through the pain. All right, all right. So he's sitting here. What would you tell me about that? That's enough. <laughs> right. Colin, go sit down. Get out of here, man. All right, so give Colin a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Colin, thanks so much for coming up here and doing that. So, so even the toughest of men, and, and Colin's a really tough guy, and he's a nice guy, and he loves Jesus, and he loves his family, but, but Colin's a tough guy. And even the toughest of guys, when the fire gets hot enough, pull their hand away. Now, Colin, Colin said, man, that's getting hot, and, and then he immediately pulled his hand away. But it's not like Colin had to consciously think, man, I've got to remove my hand. His body just naturally pulls his hand from the flame when the pain of the flame gets so great he can no longer withstand the pain. And physically, you guys have had that experience, right? You've put your hand on a hot, fl- uh, a hot surface, and immediately what do you do? You pull your hand back, and you don't have to consciously tell yourself, I better pull my hand away from that source of pain. It just happens automatically in your natural body, your natural compulsion, your natural instinct is to avoid pain, is to try to numb pain, or try to distract yourself from from pain. Pretty soon in Louisiana, if you go outside and you touch uh, the hood of your vehicle, uh, immediately what are you going to do? You're going to yank your hand back because it's going to be 2,000 degrees and you could fry eggs on the hood of your vehicle, okay? So um, when we in our natural selves are either avoiding pain or trying to numb pain or trying to distract ourselves from pain, we as a rule seek the easiest possible solution to our pain. And if we look for easy solutions, I promise you in life, the enemy will give you plenty of easy, sinful options that give the illusion of numbing your pain or distracting you from the pain or avoiding the pain. And when we commit a sin to distract ourselves from pain or to numb pain or to avoid pain, the, the, the natural instinct is to hide. So the first time this happens in the Scripture is in Genesis chapter 3. And I've got this on the screen for you. Adam and Eve commit sin. They took the easy way out in their natural selves... And after they commit sin, their natural instinct is to do something to cover up that sin. So the Bible says in Genesis 3.10 that Adam, who answers God, who questions him, saying, why are, you, why are you hiding from me? Why did you eat of this fruit? He says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because he knew he had done something wrong. And so what did he do because of his fear? He hid. The natural human tendency, if I've committed sin in reaction to trying to numb or avoid or distract myself from pain, is to hide. There's another story in the Bible. I I wanted to give you two. There's a couple more places I could have gone. This is the story of Achan. It's from the book of Joshua. I do have this on screen for you as well. Chapter 7 and verse 21. There's a man named Achan who was told by God, I want you to kill this certain group of people and I want you to destroy all of their possessions. And in the Old Testament, when God tells the Israelites to do that, it's because he doesn't want any infectious sin or any other God to infect the worship and life of his people. And there are some things in your life through this sermon series that God is going to tell you, you need to completely destroy. 
You need to get this completely out of your life. There is no place in your life for the things that God's going to begin dealing with you on through this sermon series. Well, Achan doesn't listen to God. And when God confronts him, he says, I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia. I saw 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. So listen to this process. I saw, I coveted, and I took. And that's so often the pattern of people who are trying to avoid either pain or seek an easy solution in life. I saw, I desired, or I coveted, and so I took matters into my own hands and grabbed these items for myself. And because Achan had committed a sin, what does he do with the plunder? He hides it. He hides it. So in Scripture, what, what that hiding tendency is in human beings, we this has kind of become a watchword in our culture, it's shame. Shame. When we have felt pain and tried to avoid the pain or numb, numb ourselves from the pain or distract ourselves from the pain in a sinful, easy, quick fix type of a way, we hide that scenario in darkness. We don't want people to know about it, and that's called shame. So I have a picture up on the screen for you here of what this looks like in the natural self. Okay? First, a person experiences pain. And after a person experiences pain, the natural tendency is to recoil my hand from pain if it's physical pain. If it's emotional pain, the natural tendency is to avoid the painful situation, to try to numb the painful situation, or try to distract myself from the emotional pain I feel. And the enemy offers artificial, quick-fix, sinful solutions that don't really resolve our pain. And we feel shame when we take one of those roads or, or pursue one of those options. And that shame does what to our pain? It increases it. And every single time we take a revolution around that cycle, we get farther away from God and more isolated and more deeply trapped in our pain the catch is to stop using the word natural in this whole thing and to exchange it with the word spiritual so i deliberately crossed that out that's the problem with this whole scenario when we react to our pain based on our natural flesh we're going to be led down a road of misery and sin and shame and isolation but if we react in the spirit And if we access the same spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 11. You and I in Christ Jesus have access to that same spirit. If we'll access that, we won't respond to our pain in the natural. We'll respond to our pain in the spiritual. And I'm going to show you how that looks. But this this cycle right here forms the bedrock for for the way that people get caught up in one of the seven deadly sins or even a, a... a sin that's not mentioned. And one of the most common sins people are caught up in today is lust. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5. I've got this on the screen. You're going to know this uh, passage of Scripture. But the, the Bible says this. Jesus is teaching here in a, in, a, in a sermon that we commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives us some advice about lust. He says this, church. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. So here Jesus is teaching us that that sin is not always in behavior. Sometimes sin happens right here. And the two difficult sins in the seven deadly sins that I'm going to be teaching on over the next two weeks are lust and gluttony. And the reason these are such a challenge is because you are designed as a sexual being and you're designed as a being who always wants food. Robert was exactly right. Man, when he was, when he was given that uh, uh, illustration this morning about a fruit cup, every single one of y'all has eaten a fruit cup before. And it's probably going to eat another one at some point soon. And I pray in the name of our Lord Jesus that you don't pour out a fruit cup and find plastic fruit in your fruit cup. That would just about break my heart. Because I don't eat a fruit cup until it's the last possible thing to eat. And I'm extremely hungry. And if I would pour that thing out and there'd be plastic fruit in there, it really would be a tragedy for me. Sex and food, two natural drives that every human being has every single day or every single week or every single month. And because this is part of your design, it's something the enemy really uses against God's people. And I've taught this a lot of different ways, but I want to give you just one thought. And it's on the screen, and I want you to write this down. When Jesus is saying, gouge out your eye or cut off your hand if it causes you to sin, what he is saying, church, is that you and I need to get radical in how we deal with sin. We've got to be willing to do some things to get the sin out of our life that are completely above maybe what we've ever tried before. These kinds of sins, people who struggle with lust, and then next week I'm going to be talking about gluttony, which is not just related to food, but people who struggle with these kinds of things over and over and over again haven't done what's radical to really purge the sin from their life. And one of the most radical things you need to do if your struggle is with lust is understand that the biblical solution for lust is love. The biblical solution for lust is authentic love. And I'm going to give you just a couple of scriptures and then I'm going to conclude. If you're battling lust today, or if you know someone that is, if you'll kind of teach them that pain, um, then avoid, uh, distract or numb, and then sin, and then shame. If you'll teach them that cycle, you'll be able to go to Matthew 5 and say, Brother or sister... Jesus is asking you to do something radical in your life to get the sin out of your life. And what Jesus is asking us and what the scriptures teach us to do more radically if we struggle with lust is to love. And the, and the being that we need to most radically fall in love with, given what the scriptures teach, is God through the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. And I want, to, I want to take a step farther and say any one of the sins that we're going to preach through or teach about, if you're battling, you need to fall more deeply in love with God through Jesus Christ the Son. I want to give you a scripture from John. This is John chapter 15. This is Jesus talking here. And in John chapter 15, Jesus says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy might be, and if you've got your Bible and you're following along, this word is really important. You might be, your joy might be complete. Ultimately, when we struggle with lust, what we're doing is we're trying to, to fix a craving God was designed to fulfill with something not designed to fulfill that craving. 
And we've twisted a sexual urge into an urge to fulfill our need to connect with God more deeply and more profoundly. And Jesus says the way you find complete joy is not by finding the perfect spouse or romantic partner or image. The way you find complete and total joy is by falling radically in love with the God who designed you to fall radically in love with him. The Apostle Paul was absolutely transformed by this idea. I've got this on screen for you too. This is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul says, in him, and he's talking about Jesus Christ here, you have been made, here's that really significant word again, you have been made complete, and Jesus is the head over all rule and authority. Everything that you're looking for in life, every question about yourself that you need answered, every satisfaction, every joy, every purpose can be found in Jesus Christ. And when you're looking at things like sex or food or anger or envy as a way to kind of resolve your inner struggle, you're never going to get enough. Because here's the truth. You can never find satisfaction in what was not designed to satisfy you. You can never get enough of what will never satisfy. And I don't care what your struggle is. You can't get enough of what wasn't designed to satisfy you anyway. Where do you find complete joy? In Jesus Christ. Where do you find wholeness and completeness in life? Through God the Father, by the sacrifice of God the Son. So I want to give you two thoughts on how you can connect with God more deeply today. And I've got these on the screen for you. The first thing you can do is practice daily surrender. If you want to fall in love with God more radically, you can practice a more radical daily surrender. I want to take you back to John 15. What does Jesus say in John 15? If you want to radically love me, then you're going to radically do something about that love. You're going to radically follow my teaching and follow my lifestyle. Jesus says, you're going to keep my commandments. If you radically love me, you're going to radically follow my lifestyle, keep my commands and know my teaching. And friend, if you're going to do that, you've got to get familiar with this. You've got to get in God's word and study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and listen to what he said and live like he asked you to live. And you've got to get radical about it. You've got to be more fired up about that than you are about the football game or the baseball game or the after school activity or your career or your spouse or your network of friends or any of these sins that you're caught up in. You've got to get radically in love with the Lord of the word. And the second thing you've got to do, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, in Jesus Christ, by the Spirit's power, you really can take every thought captive. And for a person who struggles with sin, in particular a person who struggles with lust, the battle really is in between your ears. But by the power of God, you can take every thought captive. And I want to tie that, though, into uh, Colossians 2.10. When you feel a struggle with sin welling up inside you, in particular lust, and you notice somebody and you start having a thought or a fantasy that you shouldn't, I want you to remind yourself that you have been made complete in Jesus Christ and you don't need an image or a fantasy to fulfill you because you are already fulfilled. Can I get a witness this morning? Two of you are excited that you've been fulfilled and filled completely by Jesus Christ. Let me get a witness this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. 
Now, this is, more, this is more of a teaching this morning than a preaching. But if I have to do all the preaching and all the teaching and the amening, it's going to be twice as long. I'm just going to start preaching on you. All right? Okay. Get radical in dealing with sin by falling more deeply in love with God. How can you love God more deeply? You can more radically follow His teaching and lifestyle, and you can remind yourself every single moment of every single day that you are complete in Jesus Christ. And if you will use that thought when you are struggling with lust, God will transform that struggle for you. The second thing you can do, and I'm going to close after this point, is you can love others more deeply. You can love others more deeply with non-sexual intimacy. So I want to give you a, a scripture from John chapter 13. Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, I didn't put this on the screen for you, but I do want you to write down, if you're taking notes, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. And if you read Leviticus 19 and verse 18, what you realize is that the command to love one another is really not a new command. It's in Leviticus 19, 18. So what does Jesus mean when he says, a new command I am giving you? Let me show you. The command was, love your neighbor as yourself. The new command is, love your neighbor more than you love yourself. What kind of love did Jesus Christ demonstrate for his neighbor? A love that went to the cross. Jesus loved you and he loved me more than he loved himself. And if you'll start to live the way Jesus lived, what you'll realize is that you're, you're, you're going to be empowered to love others more than you love you. And when you notice somebody or you have a fantasy or you're struggling with lust, if you will love others more than you love yourself out of respect for those individuals, you'll remind yourself that you're complete in Christ and you don't need that fantasy and you don't need that lustful thought to feel numb or distract yourself from your pain or avoid, or avoid your pain. What you'll find is that in that love, you can make a sacrifice and lean into your pain and feel complete and fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ and the victory over lust happens instantaneously in that moment. The love you have to have for your neighbor has to be greater than the love you have for yourself. We're going to talk more about pride in this sermon series, but that's a major core of the sin of lust. I really lose my love for people, and I become God of my universe, and everyone exists for my pleasure. And the only end result of that kind of a mentality is more pain. So if you're really going to love people like the Bible declares you should love people, I want to give you three ways today that you can start really loving others. And there are three H words. I try to do this so that they're easier to remember. The first thing you can really love somebody else is to really hear someone. I want you to practice at some point this week being fully present. Man, you got, you're just like me. We got 10,872 things on our mind every single second. We live in a culture that is so busy. It's hard for me in ministry if you come up and talk to me to stay fully present with you and not think about the 15 other things that I got going on on Sunday or the people I know I need to talk to or the couple of people that I still have phone return phone calls to make. 
And what I have to really be disciplined in doing is practice being fully present and locked in on who's talking to me. And let those distractions go and really hear someone's heart. And that connection with them when I'm fully present and really hearing them is life-giving to me. And it helps me feel connected. And I've been designed for that. The second thing you can do is help somebody. You can step out of yourself with you as the ruler of your own universe. And you can put somebody else's needs in front of yours. And I really think it doesn't count as truly helping somebody unless it hurts you a little bit. Unless you give some time that you really don't think that you have, or some money that you really think you should have saved, or a compliment that is really embarrassing for you to give that's, that's obviously appropriate, or some other means of helping somebody that just costs you something. I promise if you'll start doing that regularly, that what you'll find is the love of Christ will rise up in you that helps you love a neighbor more than you love yourself, will begin to take root in you, and, and you really will learn what true discipleship feels like. The last thing I want to say is heed somebody. Get with somebody who is farther along in their spiritual journey than you and disclose to them what you are dealing with and get some critical feedback from that person and really take it to heart. Listen to what they're saying. And if you'll really love God like I've described and love people like I described, you'll be in what I call the spiritual maturity cycle. I want to give this to you. This is the last image on the, uh, uh, of the day, and I want you to just have what this looks like. It is the exact opposite of the natural cycle. In the spiritual maturity cycle, we experience pain, and then we act spiritually, and we surrender that pain to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we remind ourselves that we're made complete in Christ... And that we, we will be empowered by the Spirit to obey the teachings and commands of Jesus if we'll surrender in that moment our hearts and our minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we surrender, we get the promised serenity that comes with surrender. And if we get, if we get surrender and serenity right, we grow spiritually. And the next time we experience pain, it's a little bit easier. And a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And before long, what you realize is that God has, has been victorious over the sins that you struggle with in life. I am so excited to get to teach this to you for the next couple of weeks. Mike is excited. I hope that you'll hang with us and allow the Spirit of God to minister to the areas in your life that the enemy is trying to attack you. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you so thankful for your word. And I thank you personally for the freedom that you've given me over lust. Uh, God, I struggle with so many addictions and so many uh, sins in life, but this was the first and most difficult. And um, I know there are some people under the sound of my voice who are, who are struggling. And I know there's some people under the sound of my voice who have been healed and cleansed and are victorious over their sin of lust. And I know sometimes it can be difficult to come forward and to respond. This is not fun stuff to talk about. But, Lord, if there is somebody who needs prayer, not only for the sin of lust, but, but for anything that is burdening them, God, I ask that they would be empowered to respond and that we as a church would not judge but would encourage those who need to hear from you this morning. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.